Thank you for listening to the Crossridge Podcast. Today's message is by Senior Pastor Mark Farnell. For more information about Crossridge Church, visit our social medias or go to our website at crclife.org. We hope you enjoy the message. All right, you may be seated. He has won the victory indeed. Open your Bibles with me to uh, Titus chapter 1. We are unpacking God's life-changing truth for our lives in this New Testament book, this letter from Paul to Titus and us. Paul is downloading God's leadership plan for his local church. Paul told Titus that he was left in Crete to lead the churches in Crete. Titus was to appoint elders in every town. He was to select, designate, appoint godly, qualified, spiritually mature men in the churches in Crete to lead the churches in Crete. Paul gave Titus a list of godly qualifications that an elder must possess, an elder must meet in order to be considered for an elder, pastor, overseer role in the local church. This list of godly qualifications is a wonderful list of qualities for every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ to possess and express. And so we're all in view here. Certainly the most uh, strict point here, the, the specific application, the one in view here, pastors, elders, overseers, but we're all in view as we make our way through this passage this morning. So there's something for all of us that we can take with us this morning. So the first qualification uh, we see is an overseer, an elder must have godly character. Paul wrote in verse 6, an elder must be blameless. In verse 7, as an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless. An elder pastor overseer must have godly character and integrity. They must be above reproach. Uh, They must have a good reputation at home, in church, and in the town. The second qualification is an elder must have godly commitments. He said in verse 6, an elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, with faithful children who are not accused of wildness and rebellion. So an elder, overseer, pastor must be committed to God and to his family. He's to be the husband of one wife. That means he's to be a one-woman man. He's to be committed to his wife, devoted to his wife, in love with his wife. He's to have faithful children who are not accused of wildness and rebellion. The point that Paul is making to Titus and us is this. As an elder faithfully oversees his own family, he will be able to faithfully oversee God's family. As he watches over his household, he'll be able to watch over God's household. God wants all of us to have godly character. So we're all in view. God wants all of us to be men and women of character, integrity. He wants us to be above reproach, of good reputation, wherever we may go. God wants all of us as followers of Jesus Christ to have godly commitments. God wants everyone here in this room to be committed to him, to be committed to his word, to be committed to your family, to be committed to God's family, the church, one another as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And so we see uh, how important uh, these commitments are. The third qualification is an elder must have godly conduct. He must have godly conduct. And we continue here in verse 7. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, hot-tempered, an excessive drinker, a bully, uh, and greedy for money. 
So beginning in verse 7, Paul gave Titus and us a snapshot of what blamelessness looks like on the street level, what blamelessness looks like in action, in our lives and relationships. He talked about being blameless in verse 6 and verse 7, and now as we continue through verse 7 and 8, he's going to give us a really good picture as to what that should look like. And what Paul did is so helpful to you and me this morning. Paul shared five negative qualities to avoid in verse 7, and Paul shared six positive qualities to possess in verse 8. These are to be true of overseer, pastors, elders, as well as each one of us as followers of Jesus Christ. We covered the first three of these negative qualities to avoid last week, so I'm going to go real quick through them. And then we'll continue making our way through this passage. First, an overseer must not be arrogant. An overseer must not be self-centered, self-focused, self-willed, proud, boastful. An an overseer must uh, be a caring, humble servant leader who loves others and loves ministering to others, who thinks of others. Second, an overseer must not be hot-tempered. An overseer pastor, elder, must not be easily angered. They must not be short-tempered. They must be long-tempered, long-suffering, patient, self-controlled. An overseer must not be an excessive drinker. An overseer, pastor, elder, must not be addicted to alcohol. They must not be dependent on alcohol. They must not be a drunkard. An overseer must take wise, careful consideration to their decision as to whether or not to consume alcohol so that they will be careful not to cause another brother or sister in Christ to stumble in their faith in Christ due to their decision and actions regarding this specific case of alcohol and so that they're careful not to hinder someone from placing their faith in Christ due to their decision and actions regarding the consumption of alcohol. Again, Paul did not say thou shalt not drink, but he certainly said thou shalt not be a drunkard. Thou shalt not be addicted. And so he continues, and we'll continue moving forward with the fourth and fifth negative quality to avoid. An overseer must not be a bully. Now, a bully means a violent person. It literally means a striker. means one who is quarrelsome, one who is verbally and physically violent. A bully is oftentimes arrogant. A bully is oftentimes self-centered and hot-tempered. A bully harms people with their words and their fists. Evidently, in Paul and Titus' day, believe it or not, disagreements in the local churches were at times decided by verbal and physical violence with fighting verbally and physically. So what Paul's telling Titus here is Titus, a bully, is not overseer material. A bully is not overseer material. Keep going. Keep looking. An overseer must be kind to others. An overseer must be forgiving. They must be gentle. They must be a peacemaker. This is vitally important quality 
for overseers, pastors, and elders, and for every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ. If you want, just for a moment, turn to your left to Romans chapter 12. I want to read just a passage here that speaks in particular to this quality. We're going to speak to different ones of these qualities uh, a little bit more than some of the others, and this is one I want to just speak to for a moment. Paul spoke throughout the New Testament in regards to this area. Uh, and we know that overseers are not to be bullies. We know that being bullied is an a issue in our society today, specifically in the schools uh, where our children uh, matriculate. And so we want to be careful as it relates to uh, this issue of being a bully. And so Paul made it clear overseers must not be a bully. They must be forgiving. They must be gentle. They must be a peacemaker. Romans chapter 12, I'll begin reading in verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Now this is general truth for all followers of Jesus Christ. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Do not avenge yourselves. Say that with me out loud. Do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. Now jump ahead to verse 21. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. An overseer is to build up, not beat down. An overseer is to calm conflict, not cause conflict. An overseer is to encourage, not discourage. An overseer is to forgive, not fight. An overseer is to seek reconciliation, not revenge. An overseer is to help people, not hurt people. And the same is true for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ. Paul's making this clear to Titus. He's made it clear in other areas, such as Romans chapter 12, throughout the word. And I believe this is something that is clear to us because this is such an obvious topic today. And that many of us, especially those of us who are in the parenting stage with our children going through school, deal with. But this is not limited to children. We also see it happen in the workplace. We see it happen in relationships. And obviously, uh, we also know it can. It has, it can, and it does at times even happen within the church, within the family of brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And so Paul made it clear, an overseer must not be a bully. And then the fifth quality that he says to avoid is an overseer must not be greedy for money. Greedy for money means to love money, to love riches, to love stuff. It means one who is controlled and driven by the almighty dollar, a hoarder. One who is willing to gain money honestly, dishonestly, properly, improperly. They really don't care how they get it. They just want to get it. That's someone who's greedy for money. One who is greedy for money is all about getting, not giving. One who is greedy for money pursues money, not the Lord. But even more so, one who is greedy for money trusts in money, their bank account, not the Lord. Paul told Titus, Titus, an overseer, cannot lead his own family well, nor can he lead his church family well if he is greedy for money. Can't happen. Obviously, this is another one of those issues that is very prevalent today in our society. Now, Paul even expanded on this a bit. If you're back to Titus chapter 1, we'll jump down as we've done a little bit, and, and it's okay. Uh, God's not going to get upset with us if we jump down and look at other verses in this chapter ahead 
of when we make it there. Verse 10 uh, and verse 11, Paul told Titus, there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party, those are the Orthodox Jews. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't. Here it is, in order to get money dishonestly. Paul warned Titus about the false teachers because they were greedy for money. The false teachers were teaching their false doctrine, and in so doing, they were ruining households because the underlying factor in their false doctrine was so that they could gain money dishonestly. They were trying to fleece the people instead of feeding the people the truth of God's word. And so we see here, Paul told Titus, you got to be careful. you got to watch carefully. An overseer must not be a bully. An overseer must not be greedy for money. An overseer, pastor, elder, and all followers of Jesus Christ must be generous, not greedy. Generosity, not greediness, is the mark of a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's certainly to be the mark of an overseer, pastor, elder. Generosity. Now, I want you to understand, being generous, not greedy, is what Paul was wanting Titus and us to look for, and he wants us as followers of Jesus to become. Being generous is not just about what we give, it's about how we give what we give. Follow me. Being generous is not just about what we give, it's about how we give what we give. The scriptures tell us God loves a generous and cheerful giver. God wants us to be excited about generosity. And so we know that an overseer is to be generous and excited about being generous with his time, with his talents, and treasures. See, an overseer, pastor, elder, and all followers of Christ, all of us, we all know and understand, certainly overseers must have a PhD in this, they must understand that all they are and all they have is from God. And therefore, they know God is the owner, and they are the stewards, the managers of all that God's given them. And therefore, we know that an overseer will therefore be generous, not greedy, because all they are and all they have is from the Lord. And we're not the one in charge. He is. And so an overseer will also want to glorify God and not get rich. The false teachers wanted to get rich. They didn't want to glorify God. And so it's vitally important for us as followers of Jesus Christ as well. Again, we're all in view. We see the specific viewpoint for the overseers. It's a must. But the same is to be true for all of us. God wants all of us to be generous, not greedy. Now, let me just call a quick timeout for just a moment as it relates to money. Just a quick timeout. I promise this won't stress you out. I'm not going to spin off into a sermon on money. Um, just a quick timeout right here. Money in and of itself is not bad, it's not evil, it's not wrong. Having money. Having a lot of money, it's not bad, it's not evil, it's not wrong. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
It's the love of money that gets us into all kinds of trouble. It's okay to have money as long as the money doesn't have us. And one of the greatest practices, one of the best ways for money not to have a hold of us, one of the best ways for us to keep away from the temptation to love money, to pursue and trust money, is to be generous. It's to be generous. And what an example we have to follow. Our Almighty God is the most amazing, ultimate, generous giver ever. Stop and think about all that God has given to us. I'm here to tell you, I'm well aware of this. God's given me the very air I breathe right now to stand here and the strength to do what I'm doing. And he could take it in a moment if he wanted to. And he would be right if he did choose to do that. Everything, everything is from him. And since we've been crucified with Christ, we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. The life we live in the body, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. We're not our own. We've been bought with the price of the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross of Calvary. We're to honor God with our bodies. We're to honor God in everything we do. We're to bring glory and honor to him, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do. We're to bring glory and honor to God. So it's incumbent upon us. And what a privilege, what a joy. How exciting is it for us to be generous? That's part of the reason for the uh, Dollar Day Ministries. That's part of the reason why we're going to do the lunch blessing uh, this month. We're just going to express generosity to our community and just watch what God does. We're just going to watch, see what he does, see who he draws closer to himself. He's going to work. We know this because God always works in and through generosity. We may not always, all the time know immediately all that he does. We may not hear thanks from those who are the recipients of generosity immediately or even ever. But I can promise you, God works in and through generosity. Generosity leaves a mark. It makes a difference. And so we see here five negative qualities to avoid for overseers. So Paul's saying, hey, Titus, as you go to these churches throughout Crete, and as you're observing, you're watching, you're listening, you're taking a good view of what's happening in the churches, you're looking at those gathered together in the churches, you're listening to folks talk about and share those who are kind of the leaders in the churches, make sure an overseer is not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, and not greedy for money. And then he shares, beginning in verse 8, now we get to the other side of the coin, and he shares, here's six positive qualities that I want you to look for. Six positive qualities to possess. These elders, overseers, pastors must possess these qualities. And again, these are qualities that God wants all of us to possess. And so he says in verse 8, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, uh, righteous, holy, self-controlled. So we see an overseer must be hospitable. Hospitable means to love and welcome strangers. That's what it literally means. It means to love and welcome strangers. It means to be friendly with, to be interested in, and to be ready to help others. Hospitality describes someone who is good at making other folks feel welcome and at home. So an overseer is to be hospitable. They're to love and welcome strangers, guests, those they know and those they don't know. Wherever that overseer goes. An overseer's calendar 
office and home is to remain open as often as possible so that overseer is available to care for, encourage, help, love, minister to, pray, and serve those who are in need. You see, an overseer must be hospitable because it really doesn't make sense It would be very difficult for an overseer to lead God's family if he didn't like the folks that God was bringing to his family. So he needs to be hospitable. And we know that hospitality is for all of us as followers of Jesus. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9, show hospitality to one another without complaining. I love that. That's a whole sermon on its own. Without complaining. Paul said in Romans 12, 13, share with the saints in their needs, practice hospitality. And so the background here that Paul and Titus would understand is a little bit different than today, but it still applies in different ways. But we know that in Paul's day, in Titus's day, the church met where? In one another's homes. So hospitality was a must. It was a necessity. We see this in the testimony of the first church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1 through 4 and 5 and then expanding. They met in one of those homes. They praised God. They studied the word of God. Apostles teaching in one of those homes. And so we know this was vitally important. And so hospitality was a must also because traveling Christians from place to place would need a place to stay as well as persecuted Christians who had been beaten and persecuted for their faith, kicked out of their homes, kicked out of their towns, and they would travel. And it was incumbent upon Christ Christ followers in these local towns and these churches to practice hospitality. Hospitality and generosity go hand in hand. They're traveling companions. Hospitality helps us to share the good news of the gospel. Hospitality allows us to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those God places around us. We practice hospitality here and on our church on a week in and week out basis in many different ways through our welcome time, as we shake hands, as we hug, as we communicate, through our greeting teams, as they're practicing hospitality as you're walking in, our parking team, uh, that's all ways that we practice hospitality. Our check-in teams and all the different areas of ministry, that's hospitality. We know that we have our, our communication team practices hospitality. We've got folks in the hospitality area providing coffee and water. That's hospitality. We want to provide hospitality and practice hospitality all the time. Another example, our life team host families. Those families who open up their homes week in and week out to our life team meetings, those folks, those families who are allowing the life team to meet in their homes are practicing hospitality. They're showing hospitality. We practice hospitality as we grab a brother or sister in Christ and go take them to lunch and to take care of it. As we meet a stranger and as we go and try to get uh, a relationship started and we go and take them to lunch or to dinner. There's all kinds of ways to be hospitable. An overseer must be hospitable. An overseer must be a lover of what is good. Loving what is good means loving what is good as defined by God. Now, we know God is good, and God's word is good. As the psalmist said, you are good, God. Your word is good. Teach me your statutes. God, you are good. You do what is good. So an overseer loves God, the word of God, the people of God, the things of God, the worship of God, the service of God. An overseer loves what is good, and an overseer is to love to do what is good. 
It's one thing to love what is good. It's another thing to not only love what is good, but to love to do what is good, to be a servant. And so Paul told Titus that all followers of Jesus Christ are to love what is good. He, can, he shared in Titus chapter 3, we'll jump ahead real quick, Titus chapter 3 and verse 8. Look at what Paul told Titus. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things, so he's serious here, so that those who have believed God, that's all of us as followers of Christ, not just overseers, might be careful to devote themselves to what? Good works. Say that with me. Good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. An overseer is to love what is good and to love what is good and to do that which is good. Paul told Titus, I want you to teach the believers in the churches, allow the overseers to be the example, but I want you to teach all the believers not just to love what is good, but to love to do what is good. Loving what is good and doing what is good, what did Paul tell Titus? Is what profitable for everyone. You cannot go wrong loving and doing what is good. You can't go wrong. This is what is to be happening within the body of Christ. He continues here and he says that uh, an overseer must also be sensible. Now sensible means a sound mind. It means to use good, wise judgment. Sensible means focused on what is important, not easily distracted by people, problems, or circumstances. So an overseer is to be someone who's got a sound mind, someone who exercises wise and good judgment, someone who is focused on what is important, that meaning God, someone who's focused on not just God, but doing what God has called them to do in their role as an overseer. An overseer is to be sensible. He's not to be easily distracted from God or the things of God or doing what God's called them to do by people, by problems, or by circumstances. And so for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ, God wants us to be sensible. Again, this is how we shine the light of Christ in us to those that God places around us. All these qualities help to shine out through our lives. God wants us to be sensible. He wants us to use good, wise judgment. He wants us to be led by the Holy Spirit of God in our decisions and our actions. He wants us to be focused on God. He wants us to be focused on the things of God. He wants us to be focused on what's important, our families, the church. And he wants us not to be easily distracted or discouraged by people, problems, or circumstances. An overseer is to be hospitable, a lover of what is good, sensible, Righteous. An overseer is to be righteous. Righteous means fair-minded. It means just. It means upright. Righteous describes someone who obeys God's commands. So an overseer is to be equitable and fair to all those they come into contact with. They are to treat people with respect and without favoritism. No favoritism. An overseer is to be one who obeys the truth of God's word in their day-to-day lives. And so we know this, again, is important for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ. God wants all of us to be righteous. Now, we are righteous, the doctrine of righteousness, biblically, we are righteous, that means right with God, by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. The only way we're able to be right with God is in and through Jesus. 
So we are not righteous. Our righteousness is not in who we are, what we've done. Our righteousness is in Christ. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We are righteous. We are right with God by God's grace through our faith in Christ. And Paul's told us throughout the New Testament, the righteous will live by faith in Christ. So when Paul says he wants all, Titus, hey, listen, Titus, make sure that all followers of Jesus live righteous lives. What Paul is saying is, is God wants all of us to be equitable, fair-minded, and just in all of our dealings. He wants all of us to treat people with respect and without favoritism. He wants all of us to walk in obedience to God's commands, to show that faith in God by our obedience to God. And then he continues, the fifth quality to possess, the positive quality to possess, is holy. An overseer is to be holy. Holy means pure, means right with God and pleasing to God. Holy means to be set apart from sin and selfishness. So an overseer is to be pure and pleasing to God. An overseer is to be set apart from sin and set apart to the Savior, Jesus. Not perfect, but pure, passionate for the Lord. An overseer is to, again, demonstrate their faith in God by their obedience to God. And God wants all of us as followers of Jesus Christ to be holy. As Peter told us, the one who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. And so we understand and realize that God wants each one of us to be pure and pleasing to him, to be right with him, to to be set apart from sin, and, and to be passionate and set apart to the Savior Jesus. Now, obviously, Living a holy life puts a priority on daily confession of sins. So vitally important for us to be in the practice of daily confessing our sins to God throughout the day, throughout the evening, confessing our sins to God, receiving that forgiveness, forsaking our sins, receiving that renewing passion and love from God as he cleanses us and renews us so that we can continue living for him and walking with him, worshiping him as we walk with him and as we do the work he's called us to do. That daily confession of sin helps to keep that fellowship with God pure and clean and close and intimate and passionate. And so it's important for an overseer to be holy holy lives, to, to maintain a pure lifestyle. As surgeons spend copious amounts of time getting clean, getting as clean as possible, what before they go in to surgery? Because what they're going to do is of utmost importance for the individual that they're going to care for. Overseers are to spend copious amounts of time making sure that they are clean before the Lord, right with Him. Why? Because what overseers are called to do in caring and ministering to those that God brings their way is of utmost importance to the Lord and to those individuals. And the same is true for all of us. As parents, you think about it as parents for our kids, so vitally important for us as parents to be pure and pleasing to God, to be clean 
before him so that we can minister and raise and love our children according to the training and instruction of the Lord so that we can discipline out of love, not out of anger, so that he can speak to them with love and not out of anger, so that we can be patient with them and persevering with them and not throw in the towel and get upset with them and blame everything on our husband or blame everything on our wife to be clean. Why? Because it's of utmost importance to those kids. And to God and to us. Husbands, so important for us to be holy so that why? We can love our wives as Christ loves the church. So that we can take care of them, watch over them, love them, lead them, protect them, communicate righteously, lovingly with them. Wives, it's so important to be pure and pleasing to God so that you can love your husbands, encourage them, walk beside them, team together, and all that God's called the husbands and wives to do. Why? Because it's vitally important to husbands and wives. So Paul, again, is telling Titus, this is serious stuff, Titus. Make sure they're holy. Then the sixth quality, positive quality possesses, an overseer must be self-controlled. That literally means disciplined and level-headed. An overseer is to be self-controlled, disciplined, and level-headed so they can lead their family and God's family well. What it also means is an overseer is to be stable, not given to extremes, emotionally or relationally in any way. To be stable, locked in, firmly planted, the foundation of the Word of God, obedience to the Word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, so they can be stable. And that's the same for followers of Jesus Christ. God wants us as followers of Jesus Christ to be self-controlled, level-headed, disciplined, stable, not given to extremes, not one who flies off the handle all the time in all kinds of different ways and circumstances, but one who is self-controlled. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but it certainly has happened to me here recently over these past few weeks. You can read this list of qualifications as we've just made our way through. We can read this list of godly qualifications, and it's easy to get overwhelmed and discouraged. This list is a lot. It's a lot. And this is where warfare enters the scene. You see, we got to remember as we look through these qualities to avoid and the ones to possess, we've gone through 11 different qualities. Warfare enters the scene because you see what Satan loves to do is he loves to beat us up for not measuring up. He loves to accuse us of being failures and useless to God. And he comes against us and works against us to try to get us to give up on God. And one of the ways that he does that effectively is not just by tempting us, by his lies to us, but by accusing us and coming against us and reminding us of our past. In so many ways to try to beat us up 
for not measuring up. But thankfully, as followers of Jesus Christ, we know better. Amen? We know better. We know God empowers us to live, love, and lead his way. We know God is the one who empowers us to say no to sin and yes to the Savior. God is the one who empowers us to walk by the Spirit, not the flesh. God's grace is sufficient for us, and his power is perfected in our weaknesses so that we can boast all the more gladly about our weaknesses because that is the very moment in which Christ's power rests on us. We know the psalmist has told us God's eyes are on the righteous and his ears are open to our cries for help. God is near the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor and no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless and upright. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous, the just, the holy, the sensible are able to run to it and find safety. There is no wisdom, no insight, no counsel that can succeed and prevail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory comes from the Lord. We know that God never leaves us, fails us, forgives gets us or forsakes us. God hears and answers our prayers according to his will for us, which is best for us. As the psalmist said, on the day I called, you answered me, God, and you increased strength within me. God forgives us of our sins when we confess our sins to him, and we know that he never brings them back up to use them as a weapon against us. The psalmist told us, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from him. Therefore, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. He will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all of our unrighteousness. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. You So we know and understand when that warfare hits and the enemy tries to beat us up for not measuring up, we're able to hold on to the truth of God's word and we know that God is able to make every grace overflow to us so that in every way, having everything we need, we'll be able to excel in every good work. I see as we Walk by the Spirit. As we humbly submit ourselves to God day by day throughout the day, He empowers us to resist the five negative qualities and all the other ones that we need to resist and avoid. And He empowers us to develop and display the six positive qualities and all the other positive qualities throughout the Word of God that He wants us to develop and display. Our part... Our part, each one of us have a part to play. And this is where we move forward this day, this week. How do we move it forward and put this into action in our lives? It's real simple. Number one, run to God. We must run to God. Each one of us must run to God. We must humbly submit ourselves to God every day, throughout the day, following after God, step by step, moment by moment, day by day. He is with us always to the very end of the age, that literally means he's with us every step of our way. We must run to God. But then secondarily, we must rely on God. We must rely on his strength and his power to help us live his way, to lead his way, to love his way. It's not going to work if we are relying on our power on our wisdom, on our good thoughts or good desires. It's not going to last. It's not going to work. And it's so easy. It's so tempting for us as we leave this place and as we get into our work weeks to get up and to go for God and just to go and to do and to go and to do without taking that time every day throughout the day to run to him and to rely on him. 
You see, as we rely on God, then it's incumbent upon us. The third step is to reach out for God. We run to him, we rely on him, and then throughout our day, we reach out for him. I'm sure you've probably seen this and realized this. I know I've been having many conversations with folks within our church family, even friends outside of our church family, but certainly having conversations with leaders and followers here within our church family. And there's just a lot going on. We constantly live between that, that position of blessings and burdens. The blessings of God. But then the burdens that come our way on a day-by-day basis. And we get caught in between at times. And what happens is, what God wants us to do is to stay real close to those blessings. Because those blessings, staying close to Him, running to Him and relying on Him, helps us to handle those burdens His way. But what happens at times as we drift and we get caught up and focused on the burdens and we drift away from all those blessings, we forget about all the ways that God has blessed us, all the strength that he has for us, and then we try to make our way through the burdens in our strength, in our ability, and they get heavier and heavier and heavier and they make less and less and less sense to us which discourages us more and more and more and ultimately leads us to want to just throw in the towel. And God reminds us once again today, even as we look at these list of qualities, run to him, rely on him, and then reach out for him. Reach out for him. Life is too much for us. It's too much. And contrary to popular public belief and opinion, God gives us more than we can handle. That's the whole message. God gives us more than we can handle. Because when we understand life is too much for us, it's more than we can handle, we then begin to open our eyes to the good news of the Savior Jesus who did sit on the back of that donkey and who did make his way into Jerusalem. Blessed and yet burdened. knowing what was ahead and yet confident, faithful, and willing to endure for you and for me. And so we know life is too much for us. God gives us more than we can handle on our own so that we will run to him so that we will rely on him. And then so we will reach out for him. And listen, we reach out to him for ourselves. 
And then we grab our brother or sister in Christ by the hand. And with one hand, we got them. And the other hand, we're reaching out for God. And we're bringing them with us. Because there are times when our brothers and sisters are on their knees and they can't quite reach out anymore. And so we're running and we're relying and we're reaching. Knowing who it is we're reaching out to. And knowing that he is more than able. More than able to meet us right where we are. To take care of every one of our needs. And to empower us to do all that he has called us to do. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. So our worship team comes to lead in this time of response to the Father. I want to encourage you real simple. Each one of us, every one of us, understand and know from the Word of God that we're to run to Him, we're to rely on Him, and we're to reach out to Him. And so I'm going to leave that between you and God. What is it? What is it for you? I don't know. God does, and He's making it clear to you. If you need to run to Him, run to Him. If you need to rely on Him, rely on Him. The altar is open as it always is to come and kneel and do business with the Father. Our prayer partners will be standing here at the front. They'd love to pray with you, pray for you. Listen, if it's to reach out to him, reach out to him. Maybe God's calling you to reach out to him for yourself. Get right with him. Reach out to him right now. Cry out to him. His eyes are on you. His ears are open to you. But maybe God's calling you to reach out to him for someone else. To grab someone who's struggling, who's in need who's dealing with the weight of the burdens of going, what's going on in their lives. And you reach out to God and you grab a hold of them. You love them, you bless them, you pray over them, you come and kneel with them here and you just pour God's blessings over them. If they're here in this place, go and minister to them. Reach out to God for yourself and for them. God is speaking to each one of us. If you've yet to receive his gift of salvation, then that's what running to God means. We run to him to get right with him, to receive his gift of salvation by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. We'd love to introduce you to Jesus, tell you how you could know him personally, our risen and exalted Savior King Jesus. He is alive. And he is speaking to us. And so, we're going to stand in just a moment and we're going to worship. And these words are the cry of our heart to our Father. And as we worship, it's our opportunity to run and to rely and to reach out to Him. As God's leading, let's respond in the obedience to Him. Let's stand and say yes to the Father.